You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys episode number 68 for Monday the 19th of June 2017. My guest on today's show is Jackson Dean Chase, a Pacific Northwest author and poet who specialises in bold visions of dark places. Jackson loves science fiction, fantasy and horror, but it wasn't until he combined them with pulp thrillers and noir that he felt that he'd really found his voice as an author. He aims to leave his fiction readers breathless, but also writes non-fiction how-to books for authors, giving useful advice on specific elements of writing technique. When I chatted to Jackson for the podcast, I started by asking him, as an author with over 30 books to his name, what was the first thing he ever wrote? Well, let's see. The first thing I ever wrote uh, has not been published yet and may never be. It's one of those trunk novels. Um, it was uh, it was a YA book, and it was kind of like uh, Pretty Little Liars meets Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> And it was it was three hundred and fifty two thousand words by the time I finished it, and that was a little long. <laughs> and it, I labored over it, uh, completely ignorant of the self publishing industry or traditional publishing industry or anything. I, all I did was focus. I decided I'm going to write this book, and you know it it was uh, it was quite an experience. It, it did not. Uh, it, it what it did was. It cemented uh, a lot of my voice and style, you know, even though it's ultimately, you know, I had to refine it after that. But it laid a lot of groundwork for what I've what I've written since. Now, most people struggle with NaNoWriMo, which is 50,000 words. You did slightly more than that. So what brought you to your laptop or your computer to start writing? What was your motivation? Where did that come from? Well, I'd always wanted to, and I'd, made, I'd, I'd taken stabs at writing many times over the, over the decades, but I'd never been able to follow through. I hadn't been able to complete a novel or a short story even, and it was finally time. You know, I'd, just, I'd had it with the day job. I'd had it with, with everything. There was, I'd, you know, it's the bucket list time. You know, you get to the, get to the point in your life, uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully before you die, and, and well in advance of that, uh, when you just have to go for your dream, and you have to quit fooling around and, and trying to take shortcuts and you know uh, putting it off till tomorrow, and that 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 is how a lot of people muddle through, and then they wonder why they didn't accomplish anything. So where were you in your life? I'm asking how old you were. Were you when you did this? What kind of age did you think, right, time to do this now, I've got to do it? Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm 46 now. I was uh, 40, 41 at the time. Um, and I labored over that first book for about a year until I completed it, and it was a mess. And <laughs> then I decided I need an editor. 
And so I, I got with an editor, and she made it about, you know, 100, 200 pages in to this 842-page uh, masterpiece <laughs> and said, you know what, I like these first 80 pages. Let's throw the rest away. <laughs> wow. And that was, a, that was a shock, and it took me a little while to process that. Um, but I realized she was right and the, because I was trying to do too much. Basically, I'd written several different books, and I, I was trying to write in a Game of Thrones style where every chapter is an alternating character's viewpoint, which was a little ambitious for a first, uh, first book. <laughs> well, you know, I've just done a little bit of um, on-the-spot research, and I can tell you that you've written about half the Bible in that story when you wrote that. <laughs> That's how long it was. Wow, I had I had no idea. It, uh, you know, I I think it moves fairly quickly for a book of that length. Um, it's just, uh, it, yeah, it, it it needed a lot more work and too much work to try and refine as it was. So keeping the original kernel, the the core plot that was the catalyst for everything that happened afterwards, and just condensing everything, you know, using that. Uh, we started with that and it ended up being, eh, you know, 100 105,000, 110,000 words, something like that. And then we cut it down and cut it down and got it down to 85,000. And then we took out the Cthulhu stuff more and threw in a vampire angle, which was hot at the time. But by the time we completed it, it was not hot anymore. <laughs> and you were doing... You were doing this at a time when um, self-publishing was, well, fully-fledged, really, weren't you? So it wasn't really even the early days of... Well, actually, it's probably just the right time to go for self-publishing at that time. It was during the uh, the uh, Kindle Gold Rush, as they call it. Um, and unfortunately, I let that pass me by. So in a sense, I was doing it at the right time, but I wasn't aware of the Kindle Gold Rush at the time, not completely. I mean, I'd, I'd read articles, you know, uh, Amanda Hawking and her $2 million uh, deal with St. Martin's, you know, after she had her, had the door slammed in her face at every traditional publisher with her, with her YA books. And, uh, but then she went on to self publish and made, you know, a million, million and a half. And then trad pub came calling with their $2 million. And that, so I took notice of that and I'm like, Oh, this is fantastic. I, 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 I can do this. I'm always interested when people tell me that the first book that they wrote was, you know, a heap of rubbish, which is usually how people describe it, and they say it was never going to see the light of day. I'm just interested with your experienced head-on now, because you've written a lot of books, so it's a very impressive number of books in that short time. What was wrong with it? What, what did you get wrong as a first effort? I did too much. I, I, I was trying to create a masterpiece, you know? It wasn't... It wasn't about cashing in, you know, I mean, obviously there, everybody wants to sell a lot of books, you know? Um, so there's that, but I really wanted to create a masterpiece, something that I didn't see really in the market, but thought that there was a need for, you know, I wrote the kind of book I wanted to read that was YA and, and horror. Um, because it wasn't sparkly vampires or paranormal romance or anything like that, but it was actually, you know, a very creepy book. Um, it's kind of like a, uh, you know, Stephen King in high school kind of thing. So 
Carrie-esque. And in its highly edited form, did that version ever see the light of day, or is that still in a drawer? That is also still in a drawer, but not because it deserves to be there. Uh, It's in the drawer because I originally tried to get it traditionally published. Uh, I got it in front of uh, one of the big five, and they called me a master of suspense who knows his market and then rejected it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) Yeah, that 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 was uh, that was a shock. I mean, it softened the blow in that I got great feedback. So I know that it wasn't my writing that was the issue because why blow smoke up my ass? Um, you know, just send me a form rejection like everybody else. So it was it was just that they didn't know how to market that book or didn't feel it was marketable. That's a fairly um, tough experience for a first book. I mean, it, it's an incredible amount of writing to do. To, to end up with something that you've got to bite with, which is very good from traditional publishers. What what was your next plan after you'd written that book? Because often people would write something of that size. And I mean, you must have felt fairly punch drunk after all the editing and the cutting and the, the feedback on that. What was your next plan after that? How did you revise your ideas? Well, while I was in still in the querying process, uh, I decided, oh, wait, I think I need a platform. So I can prove to these people that, that you know, they should give me a, a, a deal, that I should be able to get an agent, that, that I can push books out, you know. And so I read up and they're like, oh, you need to have 10,000 Twitter followers. You need to have this. You need to have that. Otherwise, we're just not impressed, you know. And so I started pursuing Twitter followers and I got my 10,000. And guess what? They still weren't impressed. Uh, <laughs> And uh, what, what else? Uh, I did Tumblr. I was blogging every single day on Tumblr, uh, writing tips and, uh, you know, Twitter tips and, and all that stuff. And it, that, while that didn't impress Tradpub, uh, it did make me a lot of uh, peer connections. People, people responded to those. They liked that. I got a lot of engagement. It gave me uh, my first radio interview with uh, live paranormal talk radio and uh, a lot of, a lot of good friends that are still friends today, you know, across the different social media platforms. I don't know that any of us are still all that active on, on Twitter. Now that's an interesting point because I think that as an author networking, certainly an indie author networking with your peers is a pretty important thing to do. Would, Would you agree with that? That is the most important thing you can do. I absolutely agree, Paul. It's, 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 it's paramount. There's, there's no other thing that changed my career trajectory more than the power of networking. Um, and I was, I was stuck on Twitter, and that gave me a lot. That's good for directly contacting people, you know. And, and I made a lot of uh, interesting contacts there, but... I couldn't go that deep with them on Twitter because of the character limits. Uh, and I was resistant to Facebook for some stupid reason. I mean, I'd already done Tumblr, you know, that hadn't worked out. I'd, I'd hit a brick wall with Twitter and I'm like, Oh, another platform. Great. Okay, fine. So I finally, I, I finally did it. And it was really to create a, uh, a street team, you know, get some, uh, get some people who would review my books 
at launch, so they're not just floating out there, hanging in the wind, waiting for the one-star trolls to come along. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes, we all know that experience, yeah. That was my experience on, on uh, w- one of my early books, was, was hit by one-star review trolls. And it wasn't my fiction, it was, a, it was my horror writer's phrase book, was, uh, was uh, just vilified. Uh, <laughs> and not just by one person, but by all of his friends. And they all piled on, and they tried to destroy the book sales right at the time that it was actually gaining traction in the market. And that, uh, that was a very painful learning experience, and uh, it, it, it took a while to recover from. I mean, if I hadn't been in the middle of writing another project at the time and had that to fall back on, to focus on, you know, I would have, I, I would have been far more devastated by it. Did it make you consider throwing in the towel? It did. It, it was, um, I mean, it, 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 it sent me into a deep depression as my, you know, and, and I think that happens to just about every author out there. You know, you're so wrapped up in your, in your, in your project and you think, Oh, I've created this wonderful thing and it's going to, uh, you know, I'm going to put it out in the world and people are going to respond to it in, in a positive way. They're going to see it the way that I see it. And that's, that's not always the case. Yeah, that, that's it. And when you get that review where somebody gets it, that's what you live for, I guess. It is. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it's a rush. It's like, wow, these people get it. It's wonderful, you know. I mean, sometimes, you know, you get enough of those and maybe you start to say, oh, you know, that's nice. You know, but it doesn't have the same, maybe the same uh, sense of exhilaration because you start to expect it. Because you know at that point, okay, I'm confident in what I'm writing. I know that it should be received well by the public in the most part. I mean, you know, you can't please everybody. After writing that first book, did you devise a game plan for indie publishing? And in fact, was indie publishing your next stop? Or did you for a while hope to get that trad deal? Well, after the failure of the first book to uh, get a trad pub deal, I decided to start looking into indie publishing. And, but I, I decided I was going to try for trad pub again. So I wrote another book. And this time it was a uh, dystopian action thriller young adult book. And uh, that one I got in front of another big five. And, you know, they praised my incredible world building skills. And then they passed on the book. So again, it was, you know, praise for my writing, but, you know, they're like, oh, well, we're not buying any dystopian books now because I was a day late and a dollar short because I was chasing, uh, you know, trends and they, they schedule out their releases, you know, 12 to 18 months in advance. So did that one see the light of day as an indie book? That did. Um, originally after the failure to, to land an agent uh, and, a, and a deal with TradPub the second time, uh, I decided, okay, I don't have any more time to waste on this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to throw everything into self-publishing um, as opportunities present. I will continue to try and query these past projects and any additional ones, but if I can't get any you know, get anywhere with that, then I will release them, uh, myself. Um, my first attempt, I wanted to test the waters. I didn't want to just throw out a novel that I slaved over for, you know, months, uh, with no platform, you know? Uh, so I, I, I threw out some short stories 
which, you know, sold, uh, but they're short stories and there's really not a lot of money there. Um, so then I'm like, okay, the short stories, at least I'm selling some books. I'm getting a little bit of positive feedback. Um, let me put out a nonfiction book because while I was writing my very first novel, uh, I had, I was running into writer's block all the time as, as many new authors will. Uh, how do I describe this? How do I describe that? So what I did was during one of these periods of writer's block, I took a month off and I wrote the horror writer's phrase book as, as a, you know, go-to tool for myself. And with then in the back of my mind, I'm like, you know, this is a useful book. I could probably sell this at some point. And so that was the next uh, thing I released. And I did a pre-order on it and actually was amazed people pre-ordered it. And then it started selling. And then the one-star review trolls, how dare you tell us how to write horror? (laughs) They're always there, just waiting. They are. uh, But, you know, that's that's the advantage of when you have a review, uh, you know, advanced review team, uh, you, you don't have to be at their mercy anymore. You know, you have a fan base and you can get them to, you know, put out reviews. Yeah, you absolutely have to have a street team in place uh, before you launch any book. You need to, that means you need to have a platform. You need to give them something to turn them into fans, uh, to incentivize them uh, and familiarize themselves, familiarize them with your ability uh, to entertain. And so that's where the short stories or novellas uh, you know, little pro- or teasers of your full book can come in. You can give those away, uh, such as through Insta Freebie or uh, Book Funnel, and uh, you can you can get a lot of uh, people to uh, sign on to your sign on to your team that way. You've already alluded to this in our conversation so far, but you mentioned that you'd uh, published on Wattpad and also on Tumblr. Now, interesting. I've written uh, dystopian young adult books as well I've had a go at Wattpad and I I had a skirmish with Tumblr but decided I couldn't quite face it and um, I'm just interested to know what made you list on those presumably to get to a younger audience and, and how you got on with them yeah I did join them to get on with the younger audience and try and gain some uh, traction with uh, you know actual young adult readers um, and while I got good feedback uh, it wasn't it didn't do anything for me. You know, it didn't help me land a traditional publishing deal. It didn't help me sell any books. Uh, Wattpad didn't really work for me. Uh, I got some initial good feedback, uh, from a lot of, uh, young adult and, uh, surprisingly, you know, middle-aged, uh, readers. And so that was encouraging because again, I was at that point in my, you know, the early days of my career, I was looking for that external validation. That, you know, that my craft was uh, up to snuff. And so that was great because it got like chapter by chapter, you know, people would leave their comments and everything. And so that, that I mean, it was helpful in that sense, but it didn't do anything for me uh, in terms of getting a trad pub deal or, you know, um, selling any books. So I gave up on it. Uh, what I did want me to uh, make one of my books exclusive with them and I, I was like, you know, for six months, and I, I'm like, uh, yeah, no, I can't. If I give it away for free, well, who's going to buy it later? You know, and this was the uh, the revised, you know, the vampire version of my original novel, and you know, it was too too precious to me to 
even consider giving away for free. Just, you know, teasers are one thing, but the whole thing, forget it. Now, Tumblr is where all the young people go as well, as well as Wattpad. How did you get on with Tumblr? Because it's, it's quite a different animal altogether from Wattpad. Tumblr, I liked because it was an easy way to, you know, microblog. Um, but it, again, it didn't really do anything for me. Trying to gain traction or drive traffic there really wasn't working in those early days. Um, and then, so I, what it did do is I created a whole bunch of how to write articles, which I was then able to later expand uh, into my various writing books. So it was helpful in that regard, but I eventually had to abandon Tumblr as a, plat- as a platform. And of course now it still is findable in the search engines, because I found it fairly easily uh, with all your author names and your platform on it. So I guess at least it's got some kind of legacy benefit for you in your business. I suppose it does. I mean, you know, it's all it's all still up there. Um, you know, I may have uh, uh, revised or removed a few of the uh, the posts that uh, became the kernels of uh, some of the books to uh, preserve their value to the paying customer. Hmm. the The other thing I'm interested to ask you is: um, Are you still working, or were you able to give up work at some point in this writing career? What I did was I quit my old job, just cold turkey. It was painful, but I was like, I cannot do this one more day and find the time or energy to devote to my dream. So I was fortunate in that I had some savings built up and I was able to launch into this adventure uh, unfortunately, the money started running out a lot faster as the trad pub deals didn't happen and the self-publishing deals, uh, you know, uh, were not uh, paying out the way I would have hoped. Um, so through a combination, just putting out more books, never giving up and just, you know, OK, I need a new release. You know, that's going to that's what's going to make more money um, and pay the rent. And so I just kept putting out more and more books. And as I did that, I made more and more money until eventually um, I was able to squeak by just in time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so what was your writing rate then? How long was it taking you to release a book when you were doing that? You know, I was trying to release a book a month, which is pretty uh, is a pretty rigorous schedule. Uh, I wasn't always able to succeed, and so it was more like every other month, maybe every three months. Uh, but then some months, I released up to five books in the same in the same month, and uh, that is how I burned out my first street team by trying to get them to review all the books. <laughs> they didn't want to do that for some reason, and I don't blame them. So I had to basically rebuild my street team from scratch after that. So that's a caution to other authors who are trying to release uh, very quickly and, uh, and rely on a street team is be careful. Try and space those releases out a little bit so that you don't burn out your street team, which is one of your most valuable assets. Now, the problem with being uh, an indie author, uh, particularly if you've given up your job like you had and you're having to watch the cash, is that if you want the books to sell, then you've got to get decent covers and proper editing and make sure they're of a, a trad pub quality. But in the, that's taking all the cash that you're earning anyway. So it's a bit of a chicken and an egg 
situation in that you've got to put the money in up front to pull ahead. Did you feel that frustration when you were trying to, you know, survive without a salary? I was fortunate in that I discovered uh, a pre-made cover site that actually had quality covers on it, um, which which is not all of them. Uh, But I found a good one, and then I cherry-picked all the best covers, or what I felt were the best covers uh, anyway, for for my projects without fully understanding what sells in each genre. Uh, And so I, I dropped a couple of grand on covers. I basically stocked up because I knew the cash would run out and I wanted to have a uh, backlog of covers to choose from without having to actually sink any more money into that. And through that, I was able to um, build some relationships with some of the artists involved and then approach them for custom work. And uh, so that it worked out. Uh, but yeah, for, if you don't have you know, the money, then yeah, the, the cover art is, uh, is, is going to be your, probably your biggest expense next to potentially advertising. And let's talk about advertising because that's just one more expense that we have as in the authors. We can't just leave it to the publisher. We have to do it ourselves. What were you spending your money on to get your breakthrough? Well, I tried Facebook ads and had no luck. Uh, I tried uh, a few ebook promotion sites and had no luck. Um, you know, I was able to give away free books, but I wasn't able to, you know, sell any books through, through advertising, not in any kind of uh, way that would recoup the cost of the ads. And so I became very frustrated with that. Part of that was that I'd been holding back releasing novels and all I had to really sell fiction wise was short fiction. So I turned that into different collections and and into a box set and thinking, Oh, well people like box sets, but they don't like box sets with short stories in them. (laughs) Not in the kind of numbers that uh, you need to be successful anyway with, with advertising. So the box set is actually one of my all-time worst sellers. Wow, that's interesting. It's a, it was a shocker because, you know, everybody was telling me, oh, you just need to put them in a box set and then you'll be fine. And no, that was not the case. Nothing I tried. And I tried and then I tried and I tried. And it was all uh, a learning experience, shall we say. Uh, what, I, what I did do that was effective was Amazon ads. And, but I was skeptical after being burnt on, on Facebook ads. Uh, so I was doing minimum bids, two cents a click. And those, you know, those act, most of those actually made some money, but it wasn't, you know, enough money, but I was spending maybe, you know, 12 bucks a month on Amazon ads. And, uh, then recently I upped those bids significantly and I started selling a lot more books but then my bill was suddenly, you know, two, three hundred dollars a month when I was used to twelve. So that was a bit of a shock. And the Amazon marketing services dashboard is horrible, and it's very hard to see what what's going on with any of the ads. You know, the Facebook uh, you can see what's going on better, um, but with the Amazon, I don't understand like the Amazon marketing services dashboard. I don't understand the KDP dashboard. I don't understand. I mean, I understand the create space dashboard, but the other one, I don't understand how you're a multi-billion dollar company and you can't create, you know, a working interface that's actually user friendly and transparent as to, you know, what data is there. 
book report is fantastic. It, it completely changed the way that I, you know, was able to read those reports. So they all made sense at a glance because I don't want to have to think too hard. You know, that's what the writing's for. You know, I devote enough brain power to that. I don't want to have to like, you know, decipher, uh, you know, arcane facts and figures in my sales reports. Yeah, highly recommended. Yeah, it just makes sense of everything, doesn't it? You can't sell anything otherwise, I don't think. It's not, and, um, you know, you can see which book's selling how much, and it's great, lovely. And you can also see, which is very interesting, the um, they've just recently introduced the lifetime earnings. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a depressing thing, but it, it's there anyway. Well, I guess it depends on your sales. Um, you know, uh, for some people, it's going to be a real, you know, feel-good moment. For others, uh, it's just going to be something to make them want to work harder I hope and not give up because once you give up then your dream is dead and you know you just got to keep plugging away and but it's not enough to just keep putting out more books you also have to learn about the the marketing side and the platform building and and all that Um, there's a lot to learn with self-publishing and it's a steep learning curve but once you learn enough of each one of those things then you're probably okay you know there's not a whole lot more to learn other than keeping up with changing technology or policy changes at amazon or wherever it sounds to me from what you've been telling me so far that your writing was pretty strong from the get-go you know you had traditional publishers who are giving you very good feedback and not generic feedback um had you written beforehand in your career or are you just naturally a strong writer well, I think I'm naturally a strong writer, but I do have a uh, background in, in copywriting. And so I think that was helpful. Um, and I also have a uh, few decades of experience with uh, role-playing games, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and that sort of thing. I've got about three decades under my belt there on both sides of the Dungeon Master's screen uh, as both player and, and game master. Uh, and I, that was really helpful because actually I can, I can, I can pinpoint really the exact moment, uh, where a little light flipped in my head there. And that was when I was running a star Wars campaign, uh, the game master guide suggested that I write cutscenes to read to the players in between, you know, the, uh, when they're playing the game, you know, so it would show the cutscene would show what the villains were doing off camera, you know, so I would write these elaborate cutscenes, you know, they couldn't have any, you know, spoilers in them. They could have teasers, but they could, you know, see, like make the players worried for what the villains were actually up to. Uh, and I got a really strong response, uh, from my, uh, from my group about that. And they still talk about it to this day. And, and I started writing, uh, session reports. Uh, when I was a player, I would actually fictionalize uh, the uh, the adventures sessions, and you know, so that it was uh, it was practice, really. I mean, I never intended, I never had any thought of publishing those or anything. It just, but it created a, a framework, a groundwork for me to uh, move forward with maybe a higher degree of uh, skill with plotting and characters and and all that. And with the uh, with those, I was able to go into the character's, you know, thought process. You know, I, I can't do that when I'm playing the game as much. The other thing that's very interesting about your Amazon author page is that you've mixed your genres there. So we've got horror, we've got science fiction, we've got nonfiction. 
uh, and we've got poetry. Have I, have I missed anything in there? There's, there's, there's quite a mix, isn't there, in, in all of that? And you've put them all under the same author name. How, how does that work for you? Has that been a good decision? It's been a good decision in the sense that it is easy. <laughs> it's a lot easier to just do it all under one name. Uh, it, it's also, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be just known as a horror writer or, or a young adult writer. You know, I want to be known as a storyteller, say a, a Neil Gaiman type, uh, you know, and because then I'm, I'm allowed a versatility that, you know, writers who are pigeonholed as only being able to write one sort of thing, you know, are not. Um, I mean, are, sorry. Uh, so, yeah, it's, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm good at all of them, and I have a lot of, a lot of interest in different genres. And so, yeah, I, I, I want to do, you know, I want to do it all. I can't do it all, but I can, I can do a lot more. And if I just do it all under one name, then hopefully people will recognize me for that. The, the other thing that I noticed is that some of your paperbacks are quite expensive. Uh, 15, 15.99 in the UK too. Now, um, I'm only interested in this because I want to know how it's working for you because I, I sell mine about 7.99, 8.99, depending on how thick they are. Is that a deliberate pricing strategy? It is. It's a premium pricing strategy. Um, that's what I feel my books are worth. Um, of course, that's only good if the market also feels that they're worth that. Originally, the, the books were nineteen ninety nine, and they sold. Uh, but then I thought, eh, you know, they might sell better if I lowered the price. So they went down to fifteen ninety nine uh, around Christmas twenty sixteen, and. I wasn't sure at the time if that was Christmas that was upping the sales or if it was the uh, the price decrease. So I kept them on uh, at the lower price afterwards, and it seemed to be, you know, a combination. Uh, obviously, sales always go down a bit after Christmas, but uh, they continued to stay above where they were prior to Christmas. So that's how I decided that fifteen ninety nine was a good price point for those books. Another strategy that you use is perma-free books. Just looking, you've got such a line of books here, it's difficult to skim through them. It's very impressive. But as far as I can see, you've got about four perma-frees in your, in your collection. Um, talk me through that strategy and how that works for you. That was an early strategy I adopted because everybody was saying how great perma-free was. And it wasn't. Uh, you know, I played with putting them paid and, and keeping them perma-free off and on. Um, you know, I've given away uh, over 10,000, 15,000, I don't even know how many copies now uh, of, of them, and they, they did not translate into a lot of reviews. Uh, they did not translate into a lot of sell-through on my other titles, uh, at least as far as I know, and it didn't translate into a lot of sign-ups for my mailing list. Uh, I found that I got much better results from doing Insta freebie or, um, you know, giveaways. Let's talk about Insta freebie because that's where you and I met. You took part in one of my giveaways and did extremely well. Uh, thank you very much for that, for sending so much traffic to the event. Um, I, I'm, I'm loving Insta freebie. I'm finding it a really, like you, you know, I've done all the things. I've done the Facebook, I've done the Amazon ads, and I've struggled with all of them. But Insta freebie for me is the thing that just instantly took off. But also, I think you've got to try pretty hard 
not to do well on Insta Freebie? With Insta Freebie, I, I dipped my toes in. I put one book out, uh, and it was a horror short story collection, and it did not do very well. I mean, it did well for uh, Insta Freebie for not having you know much promotion behind it. You know, I, I moved like 150 copies in, in, in a month, and that was all right. But then. Uh, I decided to go in for some of these Insta Freebie blasts with, you know, where a bunch of authors all drive traffic to an event page. And it's got all the books on it that all link to the Insta Freebie version. And uh, I had my dystopian novel in there. I was finally ready to part with one of my precious uh, masterpieces. And uh, <laughs> that did a lot better. Um, I, and I got involved in uh, several uh, giveaways uh, during that same month, it was really it, in 30 days, I was able to blow my mailing list up from 500 uh, to 15,000. Wow, that's great! And that was just from that was mostly from being in the right giveaways at the right time, and and from Insta Freebie. Insta Freebie is a pretty cheap way of growing your mailing list, isn't it? It is. If you pay for the the twenty dollar plus plan, yes, it's 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 a very good value as long as you're also either getting in free multi author blasts or paying to get into uh, blasts. Then, yeah, then it, you'll definitely get your twenty dollars worth out of it. If you otherwise, you're going to see maybe you know a few hundred signups if you just go it solo and don't do any you know big promotion. When I when I compared the cost of Insta Freebie though with what I was paying per lead on Facebook ads, and it was like a fraction of the cost of that. Uh, was, your, was that your experience too? That was absolutely my experience. I had a, I had a terrible time getting signups on Facebook. They were, uh, you know, expensive and cold, cold, cold leads that would unsubscribe quickly or never open the emails, and uh, that just was not a good ROI. You know, but with Insta Freebie, yeah, it was it was pennies per name or or fractions of a penny per name. And how do you find that list of readers that you've built in Insta Freebie? Are are they okay? Are they responding well? I think yeah, I think they do pretty well. Um, and I've been surprised. A lot of people will will put down giveaways, but uh, sure, a lot of people will unsubscribe, but a lot of people will stay. And those are people you didn't have before. And they're usually, the ones that stay are really, you know, pretty warm. How about email marketing? I assume you're using MailChimp to do your email marketing, unless you're transferring them to a, a different service. How are you at email mar marketing? Do you follow up regularly? Are you, are you very into that? Yeah, I've, uh, I've actually switched from MailChimp uh, once I was no longer qualifying for the free plan. Uh, and I switched to ConvertKit, which I like a lot. Um, that's, yeah, I follow up. I, I, I email people. I've, I've emailed people as often as once a day. Um, you know, and they don't always like that. Uh, I've, I've backed off uh, uh, from that, but through affiliate marketing opportunities, um, there's, there's, there's money to be made and, you know, uh, it was, uh, it was an experiment you know, because, I mean, really part of being an author is being an email marketer, you know, an Internet marketing uh, guru, if you will. 
Uh, and so I was experimenting with that, trying to see what people would buy and what they wouldn't buy and, uh, mixing those in with, you know, free offers. And, uh, it was, it was an interesting, uh, interesting result. I mean, I was able to sell a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff, but, uh, it did get a lot of unsubscribes. So I'm trying to find that right mix now. And, you know, it's also a matter of warming up your list. You know, you can't just hit them right off the bat with buy my stuff. And then the next day, hey, remember me? Buy my stuff. <laughs> um, interesting that you mentioned affiliate marketing there, because I actually think that's quite an important part of every indie author's strategy, that you need to take commissions from things that you recommend and use, perhaps software and, and services and things like that. What, what was working for you as uh, an affiliate marketer? What, what sort of things were you selling and what went well? Well, books, obviously, um, to varying degrees, but uh, you can't make a lot of money uh, with affiliate marketing on books. So uh, I found a lot of success with Udemy, with trying to sell online courses to people through Udemy or uh, self-publishing formula or other things. Um, and uh, yeah, that, those, because those pay a much higher uh, commission. I want to dig into this a little bit more if we can, because this then makes me feel like you're a business person as much as a writer. How important is that for people setting out on self-publishing to have that business mindset? It's, it's the most important thing you can do. I mean, obviously your craft is important, you know, uh, but it's not really, you could be the greatest writer in the world, but if you don't know how to sell those books, it doesn't matter. And there's a lot of people who are very good at marketing and maybe not so, you know, strong in their craft, but that doesn't seem to matter. They still sell a ton of books. They're making, you know, 5,000, 10,000, 50,000 a month. Who knows, you know? Um, and a lot of people, you know, will see that and they'll be, They'll react with a lot of bitterness, a lot of jealousy, contempt, all this stuff. And, you know, that's a natural reaction, I think, if that's not the level your career is at and you're struggling. But really, it, I find it to be inspirational because, you know, I know I'm confident in my craft. I'm confident in my marketing skills. With a few simple tweaks, I should be able to replicate more or less the success of these uh, these people, and, and that's that's exciting. Where do you go? I'm thinking of podcasts and blogs and, and non-fiction authors. Where do you go to learn and improve your craft and your skills? Well, I did a lot of, uh, I've done a lot of online courses. I've done a lot of, I've read a lot of books, and that's, you know, I've networked a lot. I ask questions, you know, there's, you know, what, what are people going to do? They're, they're going to say no at, at the worst case scenario. When you, when you go to somebody and say, Hey, what's your opinion on this? Do you think I should try that? You know, I see you've done a lot of success with this. Uh, is that something you think I should do? You know, and most people will just be very happy to answer those questions, you know, as long as you're not asking them something complicated, like, you know, an opinion is one thing, advice is something else. 
um, you know, or asking them to do something more like, can you blurb my book? You know, but if you go and come in with something simple, like, Hey, what do you think of this? You know, it's easy to get for people to give their opinion. And once they give their opinion, you know, then they feel invested in you a bit more because they want to be proven right that they were right in their opinion and they were right to help you. And so then you can build a relationship from there. And uh, I mean, you know, that, that, I don't know if that sounds mercenary or anything. Um, it's the Ben Franklin method. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, you want to come at it from a sincere, you know, an honest, uh, uh, mindset, but you know, you need to be confident that you can approach these people. I mean, everybody now is online and they're only a click away. So take advantage of that because, you know, in the old days and the, the old days I'm dating myself, but I mean, it wasn't that long ago, you know, a few decades, you know, when I wanted to be a writer, but I had no idea how there was, you know, I mean, there was sort of an internet, but it wasn't any, there was no Twitter there, you know, there was no Facebook. I don't even think there was a MySpace, you know, uh, <laughs> now I'm really dating myself. <laughs> You've got a, uh, you're part of a huge uh, urban fantasy novella collection online, Rebels and Runes. And it looks, I don't know how many books are in there, but it looks like there's loads of them in there. And um, this is something I've not encountered with any of the authors I've interviewed on this podcast before. Uh, very interesting that, number one, there are loads of books there. Number two, um, you've all got your author names there so that when I go to the book, you're all linked as authors. And um, that's really interesting because I can see how that's going to drive traffic to your Amazon author pages and it's good to help you to move you know from one author to the other how's that working for you is it fairly early days with that it's still early days uh Rebels and Runes was my second uh box set um and it's been my uh most successful one so far uh it's 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 really been a good experience for networking with the other authors in the set it's fantastic uh being able to you know uh reach their readers and then being able to reach my readers and we all kind of cross-pollinate each other um so it's it's helpful in in reaching a wider audience um that was not a uh, a list aiming set so that will be my third set uh which i can now talk about which is uh called marked by fate and that's a uh, young adult box set uh, with uh, dystopian and paranormal and science fiction uh, stories in there, all novels. And uh, from USA Today bestselling authors uh, and Amazon bestselling authors, international bestselling authors. Um, and I was very fortunate uh, to get into that set uh, with my dystopian novel, and uh, which reminds me I really need to write the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I can take advantage of that when the, when the set is out, it's on pre-order right now. And that is a list aiming set. We're hoping to, you know, hit USA today for sure. New York times, if we can get there, um, wall street journal, who knows? Um, and we've got a lot of really, uh, good people in there who are strong go-getters who have been in other box sets and, uh, you know, so they know what to do. And, and there's a lot of really creative uh, strategies that we're going to be implementing to try and, you know, earn our letters, so to speak. How do you get involved in something like that? Because, you know, even down to the compilation of all those texts to create the Moby file for Kindle, that's quite a huge uh, undertaking and quite a big management job. How, how does something like that even start? How do you get involved in it? 
I was uh, I was lucky in that it, again. It's it was all down to Facebook networking. You know, uh, a few months ago, it was over the summer. I decided I'd been on Facebook for a few years, but I hadn't really done much with it because, uh, you know, being stupid, uh, you know, oh, I don't like this. So what can it do for me? Uh, and, uh, then I just decided, you know what? Um, maybe I should try and join some author marketing groups. And so I, you know, typed it in and hundreds of groups showed up. And so I joined hundreds of groups and yeah, most of them are not very good. It's just all buy my book spam. And that has no value or interest to me. Uh, you know, I only want to uh, network with other authors who are, you know, serious minded about uh, their marketing and, uh, and their craft. Um, so I joined the two most important groups on Facebook for authors, uh, author marketing are 20 books to 50 K which was started by Michael Anderley, uh, and then also AAYAA, an alliance of young adult authors, which was started by Derek Murphy. And between those two groups, I was able to really just blow up my career. Again, it, 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 it gave me all the networking to do the, I, that's how I found out about InstaFreebie, that's how I found out about giveaways, yeah, that's how I found out about newsletter swaps. Uh, that's that's how I found out about everything. I was like, the veil was lifted. You know, there was, and it was there the whole time, but I was not seeing it because I'm like, oh, I know what I'm doing. Do, 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 do. No, I didn't. And that's okay because it's all part of that learning experience. I mean, I can kick myself and wish I'd, you know, done it a little sooner. Uh, but, you know, it's really never too late. You know, so if something's not working, then find a way to find what is working. And you do that by networking. So you presumably have got things going with your book sales well enough now um, to feel like you're safely out of salaried employment. Is, are you nice and secure with it now? I'm secure with it. I mean, I, I would like to be more secure. Who wouldn't? Um, and I that's why, you know, I mean, the thing is, is, is the fact what I found with fiction is that it it required advertising, you know, and you had to write to market and you had to, you know, it required a lot more work and investment uh, money wise and time wise with nonfiction. I can create a stable, predictable revenue stream. You know, I know my book will be in profit without having to pay for advertising. Well, not much other than, you know, Amazon ads uh, because unlike fiction where you're, pain point you're trying to solve is boredom, which is really subjective. Uh, with nonfiction, people have a specific pain point. Oh, I have writer's block. How do I get unstuck? Oh, how do I write realistic characters? You know, how do I start my novel when I can't get past the first, you know, sentence? You know, those sorts of things. Those are specific problems. You know, how do I lose 50 pounds in a month? You know, that kind of thing. Um, so those will sell themselves just because they're so that's what people are looking to actively solve those particular problems. So I like the constant, steady, stable revenue stream of the nonfiction. And I like helping people too. I, you know, I, I never really thought of myself as a teacher before, but you know, I get back a lot of really good positive feedback from the people who read my nonfiction books and, and who learn from them and who apply them. Um, you know, right now they're all writing advice books because that's, you know, I've had 
such strong success with my craft, I feel I can, I have the authority to teach that, you know, uh, but, uh, with, with now that, you know, the fiction and, and career success is newer. So I want to eventually, you know, reach out and start teaching that, but I'm trying to build up, you know, more authority in that area. So hopefully I'll be doing some online courses. Yeah, fantastic. Now this is this this is interesting because I think nonfiction is easier to sell, um, uh, and and that sounds like that's your experience too. So if you were advising somebody who was where you are or were, you know, five or six years ago, would you say, you know, put a foot in the camp of nonfiction? Is that a good strategy for an indie author who needs to make enough money to live? It is a a strategy. I'm not sure it's always a good strategy. I think it depends on if you, you know, have a passion for nonfiction, for teaching, uh, then it, it can be a good thing because you always want to be passionate about whatever, whatever book you write, whether it's fiction or non or poetry, God forbid. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the nonfiction is, it will never make you rich. Well, I don't want to say never, but it, it will be unlikely to make you rich. It can provide you with a stable, steady, you know, bare bones income, um, which is nice because if you if you know, regardless of what happens uh, every month, your bills are going to be paid. Your basic needs are going to be met just from your nonfiction books because, you know, they make X amount of dollars more or less every month. So, um, and then more at Christmas, but <laughs> with the, uh, with the fiction, it, it goes up and down and you got to keep working at trying to, you know, massage those sales to go up. And so it's more unpredictable, but the payoff can be, you know, staggering, uh, whereas you're not going to see that kind of staggering payout, uh, from, from nonfiction. You're, you're unlikely to, I mean, if you're Brian Tracy or Tony Robbins, uh, then, then yeah, you, you, you know, you'll see, you'll see a payout, uh, a very nice one, but you know, Joe Indy, eh, you know, you know yeah, you'll get by and make a living, you know, you can do all right. Do you know how many books you've written? I've been trying to count them and, uh, and it's really hard to count on Amazon. Do you know what your total tally is at the moment? It's 30 or 31. Um, I mean, that counts, you know, collections, uh, anthologies, box sets, you know, uh, short story single. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's 30 or 31. I released 18 books uh, my first year, self-publishing. Then I released uh, 11 in my second year, last year. And this year, I've only released one so far, so I've really fallen behind. And that was the uh, Rebels and Runes box set. Um, I'm getting ready to, I've just completed a new nonfiction book, How to Write Realistic Women, because clearly I'm the most qualified to write that. <laughs> <laughs> now that is setting yourself up for the trolls, that one, isn't it? That It, it is, and that is why uh, I have vetted it uh, through actual living, breathing women. Hmm. They have read the book and said that I did not say anything stupid or inflammatory or chauvinistic uh, in the book and that it makes sense and it matches their life experience, uh, you know, in girl world and the workforce and all that. Um, and it, but it's really a book for male writers 
to get things right. They're not writing the Mary Sue's or the manic pixie dream girls or, you know, men with boobs, basically, you know, where they, they don't have, they're not authentic females, you know, it's just like a uh, Lara Croft, you know, action hero that just happens to, you know, be a woman because it's, Oh, it's sexy and it'll sell. It's not because it has to be a woman, you know, and it's not told from a very, you know, realistic feminine standpoint. So that's what my book tries to address for, for male authors. And it's a companion piece to how to write realistic men, which was a book I wrote for female authors to assist them with writing, you know, stronger, uh, more realistic and, uh, uh, nuanced male characters. So you set out to leave your job and become an author. You had a little skirmish with traditional publishers at first. Are you living the dream now, or what is it going to take for you to feel like you are living the dream? I started living the dream the minute I quit my old job. <laughs> but uh, the dream has been getting, you know, had, it's had its ups and downs, and there's been a few little, uh, you know, miniature nightmares in there. Uh, but overall, I, I am living the dream. I, the dream is evolving, uh, as dreams often will. And, you know, because originally I was like, oh, I have to, I want to write a certain type of book. You know, this is what I want to do. But I've learned that, no, what I need to do is I need to pivot. You know, when something's not working, pivot. As long as I'm still writing, you know, it doesn't really matter what I'm writing as long as I enjoy what I'm writing and as long as I'm putting value out there to, to my audience, um, then I am living the dream. Uh, the financial dream, yeah, that, that could be getting a lot better, and I think it will be here soon because I'll be focusing uh, this year on my fiction, on writing sequels in series and uh, really trying to ramp that up so I can start you know, bringing in, you know, those, uh, those big numbers that I see in the, the Kalytics reports and, and, and all that. Um, that's, that's very exciting. I feel I'm at a point in my career where I, you know, I've paid my dues. I've been fighting in the trenches and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready for success. You know, I think that's, that's an important thing. Not everybody is, is ready for success. You know, that they're full of doubt and they're, they're full of fear and, and, oh, I'm not sure I'm good enough. I'm not sure I deserve to make X amount of dollars. You just need to reframe it and say, yes, I am worthy. I, I do deserve this. You know, obviously, you still have to put in the work. It's not a, about being entitled. You're not entitled to anything, you know. But if you put in the work, uh, then, yes, you will, you will see a payoff. Uh, and uh, financially, creatively, you know, uh, emotionally. And, uh, yeah, I think everybody can live their indie author dream. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, you just got to keep doing it. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week. <laughs>